Hi, and welcome to the latest episode of Towards.com Plus 50. This podcast is part of a short series produced to mark Stockholm Plus 50, 50 years since the Stockholm Conference of 1972. Each episode interviews an expert in environmental policy and diplomacy about how we can collectively achieve the implementation of environmental policies and build a greener and fairer future. I'm here today with Professor Maria Ivanova, who is Associate Professor and Director of the Center for Governance and Sustainability at the University of Massachusetts, Boston. So, hi Maria, it's great to have you with us here today. Thank you very much for having me on this show. It uh, truly is a pleasure. I was wondering if we could kick off with you just telling us a little bit about yourself and the work that you do. I am a Professor of Global Governance at the University of Massachusetts, Boston and someone who has studied the United Nations Environment Program over a few decades. Indeed, I am a scholar of uh, UNEP, I am a student of UNEP, and uh, I am a supporter of UNEP because I study environmental multilateralism and the governance that uh, we have put in place to help us resolve environmental issues. I am also the author of uh, a recent book that is still the first and uh, so far the only book about uh, UNEP, the institution, that is called The Untold Story of the World's Leading Environmental Institution, UNEP at 50. And uh, that title perhaps uh, gives away a little bit of, uh, of my inclination. I call UNEP the world's leading environmental institution. And so today we can discuss why that is the case. Brilliant. Thank you. And I want to jump right in. So when UNEP was established, it provided a platform for multilateral negotiations. And as you claim in your book, uh, The Untold Story, it really kicked off environmental diplomacy. How has this been important for national and global environmental policies? UNEP has indeed shaped environmental policy both at the national and at the global level. That's what it's supposed to do. So as a scholar of UNEP, I have studied it for several decades and its performance over the past 50 years. And what has struck me is indeed the vision that the founders had establishing UNEP to be small and nimble, to catalyze action, and to bring together others with interrelated duties on various environmental issues, whether it be pollution or biodiversity or climate change. And so that has to be done at both the national and the international level. So at the national level, UNEP has been critical, critical, to the creation of environmental ministries across countries in the world. When uh, UNEP was uh, created, there were only a few environmental ministries. Now, every country has a ministry of environment and UNEP's role has been instrumental in creating them and in supporting them. At the international and at the global level, UNEP has shaped environmental diplomacy among nation states and it has also it has created international environmental law. That is one of its core functions. So it has done so in a kind of sequence of functions. One, it has pointed out the science 
and thus identify the problems that we need to address, whether they be related to ozone or to climate or to chemicals or biodiversity. But it has convened scientists to do so and policymakers together to articulate problems and possible action plans, to craft institutional responses, and then to support action among a range of actors from the national to the global level toward the resolution of a particular problem. So if you would like, we could focus very briefly on one problem that your audience knows. It is the depletion of the ozone layer. If there is one global problem that we have resolved as a global society, as a global community, it is the depletion of the ozone layer. And scientific knowledge, public awareness, and policy responses were absolutely critical. UNEP brought the scientists together. It brought the policymakers. It created the laws, the, the Vienna Convention on the Ozone Layer, and the Montreal Protocol. This is a problem we have resolved. So we know that agreements don't always translate into action. But what are the biggest obstacles in turning effective multilateral cooperation into actions on the national level? At the Center for Governance and Sustainability that I direct, these are the exact questions that we are asking. What is the level of implementation of uh, various international environmental agreements? Why and what can be done about it? And we look at conventions or multilateral environmental agreements in pollution and in conservation. We have now offered several courses to government officials together with UNEP to countries in East Africa, the Middle East and North Africa, Southeast Asia, and are about to do that for Southern Africa. And we ask governments at the end of the course exactly that questions. What are the main factors that prevent implementation? Or rather, what are the main factors that would improve implementation? And the traditional wisdom is that financing, capacity, what we receive from countries is that while financial support is important, it is not the top concern. Rather, technical assistance and training are the most critical needs that countries encounter. This is a significant finding that uh, UNEP and the Center for Governance and Sustainability are now using to inform future work. So the biggest obstacles are the lack of technical assistance and training and then financing, but indeed the biggest factors, the biggest explainers of why countries are not able to perform well or what will enable them to perform better are improved technical assistance, improved training. And for that, academia will be absolutely critical. Thank you. And my last question is to follow up on that. How can UNEP, as a multilateral organization, work to create adequate environmental policies that will stimulate member states and non-state actors to take concrete cooperation towards environmental goals? What are the opportunities? So as a scholar of UNEP, I have to tell you, UNEP has it all. It has an ambitious mission and mandate. It has convening power. And it has access to a range of tools that are at its disposal. So how can UNEP do these things better? UNEP must be, but also must be seen as 
the resource that makes other agencies more effective. So how can that be done? I would say three things. One, UNEP should make its role as a connector more explicit. It should raise funds for the issues, not, not just for organizations or for its own operations. It should create formal partnerships with other UN agencies on the key issues. Second, UNEP should become the authoritative scientific voice on the environment. We have science that comes from many places. It has to be concentrated at UNEP. For that, we need more than UNEP producing just a static report every few years. It has to pull together a dynamic platform. Think of Siri for sustainability. UNEP has to work also toward the scientific advice in the UN system. We have argued for a scientific advice uh, advisory board to the UN Secretary General. Ban Ki-moon had one, and I had the privilege of serving on it. And uh, Antonio Guterres has committed to recreating that, reestablishing it. UNEP has to push that issue. And third, UNEP should use the UN Environment Assembly as the space for influencers and institutions to consult and collaborate. In essence, UNEP must be the place where issues are voiced, laws are shaped, and lasting coalitions are constructed. So in essence, UNEP has to be what it was created to be, a convener, a catalyst, and a champion of the earth. Thank you. Now, this is a really interesting discussion. That was actually my last question for the podcast. But you're going to be speaking in one of our upcoming webinars on environmental diplomacy and multilateralism on Monday, the 25th of April at 4.30 Central European time, which is where we will have a chance to continue this conversation. And anyone who's listening to this will also have a chance to listen in and take part. So for now, I want to thank you for your time. And I would like to recommend to anyone listening to this episode that they go on our website to find out information about our upcoming webinars. Uh, We have a series of seven coming out. Our website is towardsstockholm50.org. And you can also find the information on our Twitter at stakeholders. So one last time, thank you, Maria, for your time. Thank you. And I hope that you have a wonderful day. And I look forward to hearing what you have to say on the 25th.